So we're cruising through our Lent theme, My Father's Heart. We are locating ourselves in the scripture in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through to 13. And of course, this is Jesus, if you remember, is addressing how we pray. How do we talk to our Father? And he contrasts that with the con- in the context of pagans who like to babble. They like to say prayers and repeat prayers over and over and over again and believe that by just their very volume, the Lord will hear them. And then he contrasts that with the Pharisees and the way in which they like to, when they pray, they like to be seen to be impressive. And then he says, no, when you pray, that you address the Lord from the secret place, that we go into a room that he's hidden and we talk, we pray not to impress those around us, the quality of the depth of our theological understanding, but we're to stand in a room before our Lord and say, our Father. From the Aramaic word Abba. And I've been to Israel and I've, it's a beautiful thing when you see little kids running to their dads going Abba, 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 where we say Abba. And I think when people here talk about my father's heart, essentially what we think is it's a mushy and gushy, but actually it's really profound. What it's saying is that we come before the Lord, that we have access that we come not because of how religious we are, not because of how good we are, not that we're a better Christian than the person sat next to us, not that we're any worse than the person sat next to us, but we come to him like a child before a father. And not like a child who has an orphan heart, who is trying to eke out a living, but we come as one who lives from a place of inheritance, that we have a God who is good And he wants to bring blessing and life into our lives. So the question then is, why is it sometimes so hard to pray? And why sometimes is it so hard if we don't really trust God? And sometimes, why do we end up praying this prayer half-hearted, but not really trusting him? Let's, let's read these words together. Well, actually, not together. I'll read them to you. I'll do you a favor. How about that? Is that fair? And when you pray, Jesus says, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. When you pray... Do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Just repeat that word, that line. It's amazing, isn't it? Your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Isn't that amazing? Okay, I think it is. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. We have a dog, folks. She's five months old. She's called Mabel, and she's a yellow Labrador. And if you know us, 
or we, we, we've been in our church for a while, you know that the, first, the second time we moved to Sheffield in 2007, we had a black Labrador called Archie. So there's some similarities with, not lots of similarities, because he had a particular temperament, and in some senses we came to an understanding. He was never going to completely do what we asked him to do. And if you've seen the film Marley and Me, some of the stuff he did was incredibly similar. He ate loads of stuff. He ate a BT home hub. It's possible to do that, folks. <laughs> he ate a landline. I bought my wife for her 30th birthday a few, week, few years ago, folks. I bought some Ugg boots in the times we had no kids, and so we had money. He ate them and left them like slippers. He ate the tops, like, so they're just like slippers, <laughs> which is quite useful, but not exactly what we were looking for. He once cleared out our whole cupboard under the stairs. He had a great time, and he chewed through the power lead to the freezer. He must have got electrocuted, but it didn't seem to bother him. It was fine. <laughs> if you bought chocolates for somebody for Christmas and you hid them under the bed, he'd find them and eat them. He was just a machine. He was absolutely amazing. If you took him to the, uh, near a park and there was a man and child having a bit of father-son time with a ball, he'd burst the ball. When we had our eldest, Hannah, and a very a nice neighbor offered to walk the dog for us, he ran up to this, guy's, this guy and he burst the football and my friend nearly got knocked out. The guy was so angry. He did loads of stuff. If you were walking him and you went a direction and he didn't want to go, he'd lie down. He would just pros it. And so one time, this is absolutely true, a guy called Johnny who was around the team for a while was our best dog walker. And he, most people would walk Archie once and they'd never come back because they had such a bad experience. But Johnny was a repeat offender. And there was one time he was walking the dog. The dog lay down. He thought, this is it. He's there going into cardiac arrest. It's terrible. The dog is lying there. A man pulls over in his car and says, is your dog okay? He says, no, I think the dog is having a heart attack. So they lift the dog up. The dog's on his side. They lay the dog out in the back of this estate car, like it's a hearse, I suppose. Lay him out there. Johnny's trying to call me. He's, they, drive, they drive to the house. He gets his face. He's white. And he says, I think the dog is dying. I said, why? He said, because he won't move. And I said, which way did you go? I said, there's nothing wrong with him. Get out the car. And out he got tail down. He just didn't like the route. He's crazy. He was just full of stuff. There were endless stories. The time he knocked over an old man on the bowl hills. The time he broke my wife's finger. He even bit her on the bottom once. The kids love that story. And at age 12... He nicked his last biscuits. Even to the end, folks, he was stealing food. So we have a new dog called Mabel, and she is so much easier. She is a lady, and she's just much easier to get on with. Whether there's a link there, I need to be careful what I say here, but she's so much, much easier, except when we are walking her. And so there's a thing with dogs, and the thing that we never quite established with the first dog is you have to establish leadership. You know, like... They need to submit to your will. That's the theory anyway. One of the ways that you can tell if a dog is following you or not is that where it stands on the walk. If it's like about 20 meters in front with those little yappy dogs that you see on the extendable lead, that is not good dog, dog psychology. That is telling you that the dog is taking you for a walk. But because it's the size of a cat and has no power, you don't realize why you people buy them, I do not know. We'll only know when we get to heaven. I think they're a waste of money. 
And I think if you have one, you should return it and buy a cat. <laughs> I genuinely do, folks. Get a dog, get a proper dog. That, and a, we'll have a seminar after what is a proper dog, okay? <laughs> I'm going to make a few suggestions. You might disagree, but that's absolutely fine. So in the minute, our dog, because she's five months old, she, she, she's got a sense of geography. She knows kind of where, where we live now, and she's got her roots, a bit like her predecessor. Uh, and sometimes, I could, you know, she, she, will pull, she will pull on the lead. Now, 12 years ago when we had a, that's okay, because I had a better back, and I didn't ache quite so much as I do these days. So we have to try and break the walking thing. Like, she needs to follow us. Like, she needs to come on a walk with us, not with she's taking us. You know what I mean? That's what we need to achieve. So we use this thing called, like, it's called a gentle leader. And you put it on her face. It looks like a muzzle, but it's not really. And it means that she has to follow you. It just covers, it means that, it means that when you turn the gentle leader, her face is turned and she doesn't have, she can't fight, she can't resist. But do you know what, folks? She absolutely hates it. And every time I go out to walk her, my wife, who is a different personality type to me, says, you must put the gentle leader on. And I think, oh, but it's a nut. She'd do it. So, okay, I'll do it. And you know, guys, she makes a sound like this. And she howls. And she sounds like she's in pain, and people look out their windows. And then she's flailing on the floor. She looks like we need prayer and fasting. It's like it's. And then she's rubbing up against my legs. She's rolling on the floor. It's like a nightmare. Do you know what? It's an absolute nightmare. She is so noisy. And I walk quite early in the morning, and my concern is that somebody somewhere is going to call the RSPCA. I said, this person, this is a vicar. I know him. He's beating the dog. What's going on? And the other day, on Friday, I was, we were going to a field. I thought, I'll th throw a ball for her. She'll like that. And she was so angry. She leapt up, and her face was about the same height as mine. She leapt off the ground on all four. She was trying to get this thing off because she wants to do her own thing. And being the super spiritual person that I am, I thought, Lord, is there anything you're trying to teach me? <laughs> and I thought, oh, well, I'm there. I thought I could see something out of the corner of my eye. There it is. Oh, yeah, there I am. It's weird. Um, I thought there was somebody waving at me, but it's not. It's me. <laughs> wow. I really, yeah, it's good. It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty bad on the, it's pretty bad on the back, isn't it, folks? And I thought, is that like me? Do I resist? Am I like, do I resist the Lord sometimes? Do I follow him? Do I go where he wants to go? Or is it on my terms? And we're in a battle at the minute with our dog, because we, and it's a, it's a must-win battle. Occasionally we, lose, occasionally we lose the war, we must win the battle. Occasionally we lose the battle, we've got to win the war. And the war is that she needs to get in a place where she'll follow. And where we go one way, she'll come with us. And I think sometimes when we pray, your kingdom come, I love that prayer. Do you know what I mean? I love it. I was thinking about this earlier, that, that um, I love that bit of the Lord's prayer. Your kingdom come. Oh, yeah, your kingdom. 
We're praying to a God who we know as Father. We're praying to a God who, as Alan said beautifully last week, hallowed be your name. The, the name of God is so profoundly holy that it checks us in our spirit, that we're not just coming to our mates. Hey, yo, JC. It's like we're coming into the presence of the Almighty. But it's kind of that juxtaposition that we get to say, Dad, Abba. But yet when we stand in his presence, it's like, wow, you are absolutely enormous. Hallowed be your name. Glory is your name. Your kingdom come. And so we, the first part of the Lord's Prayer is all about the adoration, the sense of the hugeness, or what theologians call the otherness of God. He's vast power. Your kingdom come, yes. Kingdom coming in the, sh- in the city. The, his kingdom, his rule and his reign. And what does that look like? We, we see the gifts of the Spirit. We see the outpouring of the Spirit. We see in Revelation there'll be no more death. There'll be no more cancer. There'll be no more racism. There'll be no more poverty. There'll be no more injustice between rich and poor. All the stuff that dominates the headlines will be gone. And I'll have a full head of hair, folks. We'll have new resurrection bodies. There won't be the sin that separates us. You know when they've got broken relationships and it's just so painful. There'll be none of that in heaven. And so when we pray his kingdom come, we are praying for that future reality to be manifest now in the church. Then that's why we're passionate about our city. That's why we're passionate about church planting. And that's why Luke and Hannah will be with us for a season. And then they'll take a team to another part of the city to establish an embassy of hope of all of God's power of reconciling relationships there's a beautiful song by Matt Redman at the moment, and it says this, that you turn, graves into, you turn graves into gardens. You know, go to a place and you plant the kingdom of God. Something's going to happen. People may be wrestling with all kinds of stuff, with addictions, and then suddenly the presence of God can break in and bring freedom. That's why we want to go to New Wine, because we want to be part of what the Spirit of God is doing in our nation. That's why we've invited Paul and Becky Harcourt to come in May because they're carrying, I believe, something of the presence of God, a hope that only the Holy Spirit can bring. And that's why they're going to be here. And we're going to pray for God to move in power in our church so that we can see some of his kingdom to come and bear in our city. That the kingdom points to the future life. It's connected with how God has manifest he's been throughout the ages through the people of Israel and then Jesus begins to declare and speak the kingdom of God that the demonic forces and the enemies push back we see that happening in Russia and yet within the midst of that we see people crying out to God and praying and people are talking about Putin's armies are being frustrated it isn't going to the enemy's plans that somehow since his people are there praying for the breakthrough And then Jesus begins to teach us to pray. Oh, Abba, Father, we stand in your presence as a child. We come as a child expectant. Your name is powerful. Your name be powerful, Lord. Not my name, but you, Lord. I don't want to point to the balcony because I think you're perhaps close to the Lord, but there you go. But your name be renowned, not my name. That you, Lord, 
be the very center of my love. Then it talks about the kingdom, which is the very essence of all that he's got. He's coming to rule and to bear and to reign. And then it says, your will be done. Your will. Your revealed will. Your, your natural will. Your will. God, what you want, not what I want. To have a childlike trust in the Lord. You know, like kids never say to you, are you going to feed me today? My kids never say, are you going to feed me? I mean, they might say, what are we going to eat? In fact, my son, I pick him up from school, say, how was your day, Thea? Good day. Yeah, I had sausages. <laughs> Did you do any maths? I had carrot cake. Okay. When he wakes up, first thing, what's for supper? What are we eating? I mean, literally, it's all we talk about. So we'll get, we'll get out of it. My adopted nieces, that wasn't their experience. So they carried a thing with stole food because they didn't know they were going to get fed. So we come before our father with childlike, not childish, but childlike trust. God, you've got this. And all the anxiety that is in my heart, I can help me bring it to you. Lord, the freedom that has in the trust of being a child to a father, let me, let me walk in that. So the kingdom, yeah, amen. Your will. And here's the problem for many of us is we've prayed the kingdom prayer Freedom, breakthrough, but we've not always experienced it. That diagnosis, oh God, your kingdom, didn't change it. Loved ones died, but we prayed. Your kingdom is powerful. Believe it. Absolutely, unequivocally, unashamedly, believe theologically that Jesus can raise the dead. I've stood over a body. Heal, raise this man. Believe it. And like, but if we're honest, I'm going to be honest for a moment. If we really take a moment to reflect, we've prayed the prayer, your kingdom come, but we haven't always seen it in our lives. And it feels to me there's a gap between praying his kingdom and his will. Because it's hard to submit to somebody's will if you don't think they're good. And it's hard to say, your way, Lord, if you think, I don't know if you've got my best interest because you didn't come through. And you know, folks, over the pandemic, I think I'm having more and more conversations with people who are carrying a deep disappointment that sometimes they'll share with other Christians, but they don't for fear of judgment. So their hearts get a little harder. And it's just sometimes it's easier not to come or to engage or to go on the deconstruction route or go into other theological places that 
seemingly, but don't often, address a broken heart. There's a guy on our team called Kevin Quinton. He can't be with us today, and he shared a word with our team. In fact, I was about to pray, and he just burst out. And it, and it was like it was growing within him, and he said, I just sense that, we're, that we feel dull. And you know, on the tail end of the pandemic, and, and it's like the pandemic, is it getting better? Well, no, the numbers are going up. And there's this thing in Ukraine. It's like a more existential angst, like what is going on? Like we never thought there would be a pandemic. I mean, we live life in kinds of, yeah, man, we're in control of everything. I mean, we just make our decisions, just book our holiday in Spain, two weeks, beautiful. I know what I'm going to do. I've got my tent. It's like, bang, the pandemic comes. Kind of in masks. And then it's like you're watching a global nuclear superpower invade their democratic neighbors. And it's like, is this a blast from the past or what? What is going on? And it's like we're fatigued, tired of the questions. So what do we do when our hearts struggle to yield to God? Maybe you feel sometimes like me. You're like a Labrador. You want to go your own way. And it's not because you're rebellious. It's just because your heart finds it hard to trust. Maybe it feels like there's a dissonance between what you believe now or what you profess or what's really going on in your heart and you stand in worship and it doesn't mean anything to you and you struggle and you're like what am I doing with this my heart is getting harder and maybe you're wrestling with the question why 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 and I want to say this the question of why will always lead to a hardened heart, folks. Because we can't answer the question. And the right that I have, or the think I have, the entitled right to know why, means that I'll find it incredibly hard to submit and say yes. Luke Middleton, one of our interns, a couple of weeks at the um, Holy Week, uh, not Holy Week, at the um, Lent prayers, did an amazing talk. And I've stolen this off him. And he says, the question isn't why, the question is where. God, where are you working? Where are you working? Some of you may know our story. If, if you don't, Clarissa, I just can tell it super quick now. We got married in 2004. And then we went to Theological College in 2005 and we moved into a very small flat and we thought we're, how, we're probably going to start our family living in this tiny little flat. Because, you know, it was at Theological College. There wasn't much else to do, folks. There was no Netflix in those days. <laughs> I didn't do a lot of theology, I have to be honest with you. You know, the sun is shining. It was down south, it's always warm. And we waited and we waited, and we waited, and five years later, Hannah was born. I'd love to tell you they were five years of pure joy and breakthrough and singing in the spirit. 
They weren't. They were deeply painful. I'd love to tell you that I never asked the question, why? God, why is it everybody we know has had an immaculate conception? Why is everybody... Well, it's like goes to all of your friends have kids. Some of their kids are shaving, by, you know what I mean? And then, you, and then it's those that are younger than you phone up and say, I've got something to tell you. I know it's going to be hard for you. And then you think, it's like more and more and more and more. And you're like, God, if you're teaching me a lesson, Lord, there are probably less painful ways. And who would you talk to about it? Then you get the Christians, the helpful Christians say, maybe it's some secret sin in your life. (laughs) Well, I've done so many clear-outs. I'm just, you know, I'm doing it all now. I'm doing it all. Jesus, maybe it's because there's some stuff in your parents' life. How gracious Christians can be. (laughs) And then it goes on and on. Remember not praying hard enough, Lord. God, why? Why? And do you know my experience was a question of why? And I love theological wrestling about stuff. I really do. A question of why was killing me. Because I didn't know the answer. I didn't know. And then the breakthrough came. All of our three children have come about through medical intervention. I hoped that the first one, yeah, second one, I thought would all, but it wasn't. And I'd love to tell you, I never think about that and I never ask the question why. That would be a lie. I remember James Brown, who was on our team, we went to Finland together for a weekend to do a trip. And on the way back, he, um, we were chatting away. And then three months later, he came to said to me, he said, I've got some news to tell you. And that's um, expecting Joshua. And he said, oh, I hope he doesn't mind me saying this. I'm going to say it anyway. But, but I got the impression, distinct impression, folks, the reunion post-Finland was a positive one. So that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> and, and in that moment, I thought, God, I'm delighted for him. But why couldn't he have done that for us? Because I believe your kingdom can come. I believe that you can raise the dead. I've seen remarkable things. People are set free from demonic things. People's lives radically turned around, addicted to drugs, and their lives are radically turned around. Seen people do incredible and crazy things for God. Absolutely, fundamentally believe it. I resisted my heart to go down a deconstruction journey where we begin to live out of our disappointment than our faith, where we become believing or unbelieving believers. We no longer believe that God can really do that stuff, but we just come to keep coming to church anyway. And I think the question shifted for me. And I need to revisit that from time to time when you start asking the question, why? And there is nothing wrong with... And I'm not saying switch off your brains. We need to love God with our minds. But sometimes you have to ask the question, God, where... Is it your working? Where is your kingdom coming in the midst of challenge, in the midst of pain, in the midst of the things that we don't understand? And for some of you, for us right now, on the tail end of this pandemic, you're going through such things that other people don't know about. And the question is to wrestle and almost to marinate in the why to hold on to entitlement, to to get more angry, and I totally understand all that.
But when it switches to saying, God, I don't know the why. I have to give that up to you. It's killing me. But where? Where are you working, Lord? Where in the midst of this challenging, painful season are you at work? In the power of your grace. And then when we begin to see where it is he's working. In my own life, when I began to see that God was stripping down all the stuff and continues to do that, folks, because I am a slow learner. When he continues to break down the stuff in life that isn't right, I look back in the mirror and I go, oh, yeah. When I didn't get into Leeds University, my heart was set on Leeds. I feel I need to confess that in a crowd in Sheffield, but I was set on Leeds and I didn't get in and I ended up in Hull. And I was at the time thinking, God, why would you do this? And I look back and say, no, okay, I wouldn't be here if I hadn't gone. Okay. When I went to London for three years and I was like, I don't really like it here, but, you know, because Alan Partridge says you get mugged and not appreciated. Then I look back and say, okay, you were working there, Lord. I can look back now and say, where were you working? Not why, but where? I went to theological college and I hated it because I'm with really smart people. I've got three C's at GCSE and dyslexia. I'm like, God, why am I here? But now I can see the where. God, you were working where? The seasons of life. You look back in your rearview mirror and say, yeah, okay, God. I didn't know why it was happening then. And maybe you're in a moment where you're asking why and it doesn't make sense, the why. But you look back, you see the where. God, you were working. And I can see where you were working. And if you were working there, I can see that you're good. And if you're good and you're powerful, I can say, your will, Lord, be done. Your will be done. I don't need to have that kind of gentle leader on my face. I'm wrestling God, but say, God, I look back in the rearview mirror of my life. Revelation 12, 11, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony. Look at the testimony and see, God, when I, or when I was wrestling with why, you were always working. What the enemy intends for evil, you turn it for good. So as Jesus teaches us to pray, come into our Father's presence by the power of the Spirit. We glorify his name. Your kingdom come in our city, in the beautiful city of Sheffield. You bring radical change, Lord, and that we may submit our will to yours. And if you're holding on that why today and it's eating you, give it to him. Say, God, I no longer hold the right to know. Who can know the mind of our creator? That God, I choose today to say it's your name, not mine. I choose to say that I don't need to know everything. God, I'm happy with the mystery. And as I'm getting older, I'm much more comfortable with the mystery, folks. That I don't need to know everything in life. I don't need to make sense of everything. I don't need to be in control. But I say, you, Lord, you're at work. I can see where you're working. So your will be done.